Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast is scheduled for one fall. It has a 60-minute time limit. Thank you again for joining us for the One Fall Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McHugh, alongside Robbie Tubucks himself, Mr. Rob Quinn. Hey, howdy, hey. And this week on the show, we're going to be talking about the Royal Rumble, what happened the week after, and what's to come in the weeks ahead, because we are on the road, folks. It is sign point in season. Let's get into it. Point that sign, son. Point that sign. But first, uh, I do have to I do have to own up to last week. Um, I, I had a dollar gentleman's bet with Rob that... Alistair Black was going to show up in the Royal Rumble. He did not. I am literally paying Rob right now via Venmo $1 to Mr. Rob Quinn because Alistair Black failed. Where's my money? You, you are seeing, I this is over Venmo on screen. You are seeing everything that's happening right now. Rob Quinn, $1. Alistair, you got to make it up to me, bud. All right, we're going to get into a recap of the Royal Rumble, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW. And then we're going to end the show with a segment called Roll the Dice, in which I have a randomizer that is going to assign Rob a random superstar from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, or AEW, in which he is going to have to come up with a new storyline for them on the spot. Maybe he's already got one in the pipes, but either way, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, Rob, what do you say we get started? Uh, some good, some bad in the Rumble. The Rumble's themselves were great in my opinion the right people won uh but i'm, I'm more interested in the storylines that were perpetuated yeah no definitely agree um i think the i mean the the title matches were 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 good uh the tag the women's tag mcintyre and goldberg sasha and carmella everything went i think uh as expected uh the women's rumble i felt was fantastic a lot of uh throwbacks as well as new blood entering the rumble and then finally, uh, Bianca and Ripley being the final two, I thought was great. I thought they had a really good one-on-one kind of affair until Bianca finally gets to win, and that was just really cool to see. Yeah, she she was the right person. Uh, I, I wouldn't have minded her or Rhea Ripley, uh, but the fact that they were the last two was pretty perfect. Yeah, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, both of them, I, I didn't see anybody else coming out of it. The, the spot with Alexa uh starting to turn like everything started happening and you kind of realized that like she yeah. could dark like i like i wanted and hoped but when ria threw her i'm not gonna lie i wasn't against anything that they did there i thought it was a really smart way to go about it uh, i think my only disappointment is that they didn't take the next step towards any of that for this week but it's also because ria didn't really land anywhere this week so uh maybe next week but yeah i i, I was really happy even though Alexa got eliminated and I really didn't want her to, I was still, I was okay with how it went down. Yeah, this this week was more, um, the, the shows after, which we'll get into, no one showed up who was supposed to show up, I think just because it was all about moving Edge forward. I mean, some people did. Some people showed up, some people didn't. Um, but yeah, like you said, we'll get into that. And before we get to Edge and before we get to the main card and the main uh, event, we got to talk about the Roman KO last man standing match. Uh I think a great match and even the, the hiccup at the end, it didn't really, I mean, it it sucked for them, but it didn't pull anything away from me uh, in that match. That match was, was as good as you could expect from those two guys at this point in their careers to give us. I even enjoyed Paul Heyman coming to the rescue at the end. It turns out it looks like they, they had the cuffs pointed in the wrong direction. So his chubby hands couldn't get in there to, to do the unlock. Which again, I'm even fine with that. I'm I let him work for it a little bit. I didn't. I didn't mind that. I, I think what got them was the ref and the fact that the ref was distinctly counting and then just stopped. They should just have found walked a way to, away at, at seven. Yeah, they should have found a way. Like Heyman should have gone after something. Somebody should have gone after him. I mean, the first ref bump when Roman just grabbed him by the belt and and pulled him into the into the display. I thought that was great. Uh, and also I didn't, and speaking of spots, I didn't hate the golf cart spot. I, I know a lot of people were just like, oh, well, that you're ripping off AEW. I, I, I know they definitely were ripping off or homaging ADW, but just the way that it was recorded where, better. where KO is just wandering and then bam, the cart just hits him. He, the plexi pops out and hits Roman in the face. Like all of that was, it hit him and said, oh, he's, oh, he's dead. Oh my he's God. Dead. It, it looked, that was, that was the biggest 
spot. The other thing uh, that I thought was going to end up being a tease, and again, this is from way too much Marvel movies and my hopes and dreams for uh, for wrestling was when they came back through Gorilla and were walking right before the golf cart spot, you saw the Money in the Bank briefcase sitting on the table as well as like, I probably miss Morrison's jacket for like their promos and stuff like that. But I thought that was going to be like an Easter egg that the Miz and Morrison were going to interfere in the match somehow. Super glad they didn't, but really thought that briefcase sitting there was supposed to be an Easter egg to say, uh, watch out. Like this is here for a reason. This is, this is close to the match for a reason, but it wasn't. I I feel it was, it was a natural end to that rivalry as, as well. I don't, I mean, was it an end? I mean, they we th- we, clearly, we clearly could have thought so, but SmackDown, I think, uh, I think proved otherwise. Th- those two have been going back and forth since November, and Owens hasn't won once, even Against by accident. Roman. But well, he, right. he he hasn't won once, but he also hasn't lost clean either. Well, heels cheat. That's I un- that's I understand he I understand heels cheat, but it it hasn't been in a wet like even as a heel. A heel can win a blow-off in a very distinct and dominating fashion. Roman hasn't done that yet. Every time he's won, it's been a desperation win, which is, I think, why this storyline can continue the way it has. And that'll bring us to the men's Royal Rumble. Edge and Orton start the match. Edge and Orton finish the match. Only one man goes the distance, though. Well, I mean, this ties into the prior match. Clearly, it's going to be Edge and and Roman. Uh, No one's interested in Edge and, and... Drew, and we we've been calling the Sheamus spot for Drew for months, so or at least a month. I'm interested in Edge and Drew because I think that's the match that gets Edge the championship, and I'm happy about it. Edge taking the championship off Roman feels like, and as much as it's not, because Edge has said he's not going to be a part timer, and he kind of proved it this week by showing up to every show outside of NXT UK. Is <laughs> it's still. Roman is 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 on fire right now. He is the hottest thing going. I do not see a clean victory for anybody over Roman right now. I just don't. It needs if if anything, it could be Drew because Drew has been built up that way. Drew has been built up as this monster. Edge is not the monster. He's not this guy who had these dominating undefeated streaks. As much as I love the guy, and I'm a huge Edge head, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me to be Edge versus or Edge and Roman where Edge takes the title. I think Edge and McIntyre, Edge can at least take the title there. And again, there's two pay-per-views between now and, and Mania. They did a good job this week where WWE didn't, I, to me, at least to me, Edge didn't actually have a solid direction. Each show, he kind of did the same thing. It was the same conversation with different bodies, but he never hinted too much at going for one specific championship. And I like that because I want them to drag out his decision until at least after fast lane. And I would love to see it go to elimination chamber, but I don't think it's going to go that far. See, I, I, I really enjoyed him living rent free in Roman's head. As, as long as he was, uh, as long as he wasn't on the show, it was the first time you saw a crack in the armor. Roman was sort of on edge. He was, he was losing his, his cool a little bit. He well, they've just, been, bu- he they've just... been building that a little bit with Heyman and Heyman messing up the, the card subject to change the you know uh, this this was again Heyman saying Edge was there and then Edge wasn't there like this this is kind of more of a buildup that Heyman is letting things slip through the cracks and we'll see if that ends up having a payoff during the match just some other things that have to be called out one uh Carlito and Christian both returning I lost my mind when Christian came back I didn't think he was ever actually coming back I forgot that his injury was more or his retirement was more before something bad happened as opposed to because something bad happened and he, he could come back if he really wanted to and the story made sense. So when he came out and the the story that was told in that minute 30 from him coming into the ring, saving Edge, and that hug was just great. Yeah, uh, Captain Concussion came back. Ooh, that's that's, right. that's kind of what he is. So you're on that side, cool. Uh, but, and, and, uh, and he looked, he looked, he looked great. That's, yeah. Well, that's, that's what CM Punk called him. Oh, CM Punk, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, but the other part of that too, then it kind of led into what was, and I think I texted you this during the show, a really surprising final four, all things considered that it was Edge, Christian, Rollins, and Strowman were the final four in the ring. Technically Orton was uh, the fifth or fourth final man, but he only pops up at the end uh, in the, in the McMahon spot to kind of like try and pull the rumble. Honestly, I got to give Orton credit. The way he was reacting to that knee injury in the beginning of the match, I actually thought 
he was going to be done and he wasn't going to be able to come back out. But then they did the backstage segment in the middle of everything. They showed him in the trainer's room and I'm like, oh, he's coming back. At first, I thought it could have been an actual thing. He was visibly frustrated, not like angry or overselling. He does such a good job at selling uh, an injury. Well, he's he's at the top of his game at the, at the moment. He's after all this time, Morton's doing his best work towards the end of his career. No, oh, yeah, a hundred percent. He he's he's really he is dialed into that character, and he he knows what he wants from it. He knows what it's going to be. And as we said, just minor minor criticisms. Apparently, he he recovered from all of his burns uh, that he had on Monday. Aloe vera will go a long way, man. You just you gotta put some. You just gotta do a little bit of aloe vera. It's it's really good. I mean, that mask was probably like a healing mask. It wasn't just a luchador a luchador underwear mask. It was probably some kind of magic healing um, from the Wyatt family swamp or something like that. Because um, yeah, even on Monday, then come raw, he was he was ready to go. Um, ended up. I think they had a blow off Edge and Orton. I think they finally had the blow off to the feud, which I, I hope they do. Uh, Edge and Orton fought in the main event on Raw uh, with Alexa Bliss getting involved with some kind of demonic something or other poltergeist style, uh, not poltergeist, exorcist style appearance on the top rope. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I it was a great match between the two of them. With that ending, it kind of left it open, but in my in my head, I really hope that that is the blow off to the feud, like they like they kind of hinted to on the broadcast. Because I'm right, I, it was it was a great feud. Unfortunately, injury got in the way of um, of the timing of the feud, and they couldn't get it done. I think as quickly as they wanted to, but I I don't need to see that go on anymore. Edge and Orton are both great workers, but the greatest thing about Edge coming back is to see him work with new talent. I don't need to see him with Randy anymore. Yeah, that's played. It's played its way out. You wanted. To, I know you wanted to talk about uh, one of the other matches that we got to see last night: Lashley and Riddle for the U.S. title. You know, I, I'm curious about this match. I'm curious about this whole thing because there there is obvious chemistry between Matt Riddle and the Hurt Business, and I, I think at some point I, I may have mentioned this last week. I see it coming to Matt Riddle joining the Hurt Business. Okay. Either, either they, because I, I don't think that this is going to be uh, specifically an all African American faction. I mm-hmm. think they're going to take the playbook from the Nation of Domination when Owen and Ken Shamrock join. And I, I think Riddle, because Riddle, I mean, the na- the Nation of Domination at one point was like 15, 16 people deep. I mean, you had I think Dead on Arrival ended up joining them. Like it got it got ridiculous. But go on. Well, yeah. I mean, for all of Riddle's goofiness and and broness. You forget he's got one of the all-time greatest knockouts in the Ultimate Fighter. Like I thought the guy he knocked out was dead. He's a legit badass. No, and I think if you put Riddle in that tone and pair him with, I mean, MVP specifically, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think if Riddle joins with MVP and he gets rid of the goofy stoner shtick, which is kind of his personality, which is great, but you put him in that serious mode, you make him quote-unquote Paul Heyman guy style where you've got someone else doing his talking for him and he just has to go out and perform he doesn't have to say anything yes he could be dominant the thing that I took from that uh that match was the way Bobby Lashley was finally as vicious as everybody's been talking about him being and it was refreshing to see and then afterwards MVP it was interesting to see the way MVP reacted because he sat there at first and he's like, Bobby, don't kill the man, like blah, blah, blah. And then the minute Bobby goes up the ramp, he gets that sly smile, that rice smirk, whatever you want to call it. And it was kind of like, maybe this is MVP just kind of masterminding everything, which is odd because in the tag championship match later on in the night, you know, Shelton and Cedric are still messing around with each other. And is that still MVP just kind of, creating a, a one-upsmanship battle between the tag championships to keep them fresh i don't know but i think hopefully we we start to see down the road that mvp is mvp is pulling the strings a lot more than they're letting on on camera i think riddle takes the place of shelton benjamin i hope not i mean i like i like still seeing shelton in the limelight i think you know yes he's on he he's aged but at the same time that guy can still He's work his, his uh, right before he came back to WWE, he was in new Japan working with Yoshi Tatsu and like Suzuki goon. The man can still work. The man can still hit and the man can still, I mean, he can still work. And I, I don't think we've had a chance to really see that in WWE because he went back to their style. But when he was fighting a new Japan style, man, like he still 
looked everything like he did when he was the gold standard. Well, that that's gonna that's and I think that's gonna play off. That whole hurt business riddle thing is gonna go all the way to mania, one way or the other. I agree. Like that's there, there was no blow off on that one. That and the, the pieces are constantly moving, and they've been too subtle with Alexander and Shelton. So I think it, it's all part of one big chess game with those with those five guys. Gotcha. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, and to that, I mean, talking about a chess game, uh, I think that kind of leads right into the other one that I really wanted to talk about, which was Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. It was it was another part of Alexa. Just what I mean, I don't know if she's playing chess check. She might be playing Chinese checkers, Parcheesi. I don't know what she's playing, but it's good. During the match, she turns into the goddess character and kind of starts being all friendly again with Nikki acting like they're just it's it's bliss cross applesauce or whatever the hell their their name was and you know they're good and like we're just having a jovial match and then she cuts back to being she cuts back to being alexa the playground alexa and yeah i i thought it was you know it was really good storytelling i'm still i just want to see what they do uh with Rhea. i think that's kind of the next step is that she's going to take a feud now with Rhea ripley um maybe while she's still handling Bray's work with Orton, but obviously I think Alexa and Rhea uh, is, is the next step. Uh, you know, my, I have a criticism of this. It's my, my problem is much the same as they did with Orton. Now we, Alexa Bliss wasn't, I'm sorry, uh, Nikki Cross was not on the show for a while. And then they just make like the last two months didn't exist. Like all of a sudden they're right back to where elapsed. they did their breakup. Was it because Nikki was just not on the show? Did she have COVID? Was she quarantined? Like, what was the, I don't understand their, their way of moving that storyline along is just basically ignoring everything that happened. I mean, she had backs. No, they, they didn't ignore it. I mean, shortly after Bliss turned, her and Nikki had a couple matches and Bliss was trying to get her back. And then, yeah, uh, sorry, Nikki was trying to get Alexa back to normal and it just didn't happen. But then they... Alexa moved on to be more full force with the storyline with Bray and Randy. Meanwhile, yes, Nikki took a back seat. I mean, it was the holidays. So maybe they just, they took her off TV and just didn't have anything to come back with. Uh, she had a bunch of rumble promos though, whether they be on WWE.com, Twitter, and then eventually raw itself. Like she had some backstage promos, just talking about the rumble specifically. And then I think I, I have to rewatch the rumble. I do not know off the top of my head, but I'm not sure if Alexa eliminated Nikki or not. Maybe that's what spurned the match on Monday. Cause normally the Raw, Raw SmackDown uh, after the Royal Rumble, most of those matches are set up by what happened in the actual Rumble matches. Mm. Well, I mean, that's, I think they're going to keep Nikki around just to keep Alexa somewhat grounded in that division for a while, but I, I don't see it going beyond that. I, I don't think so. I think they move on. I think, like I said, the the moment with Rhea is just perfect storytelling, and Rhea is one of those that is a is a formidable threat for even the demon character or dark bliss um like is a formidable threat for that character just because of the size and power that Rhea has and then alexa can play those three different characters and still be um a good fight for Rhea. i think that could be a, a really good story oh, i agree you know alexa for all her size alexa is one of the best workers in the company oh 100 and interesting but interestingly this week what, what i found to be odd so there was no aj styles post-rumble there was no christian which actually ended up being a theme for the week and they didn't even mention once during any of the re like the, the recaps of the rumble they didn't mention the christian comeback and they may have uh, it may, may, may be on raw right in the beginning but i didn't see anything where they specifically mentioned christian coming back on any of the shows and maybe they're holding off a week because he's going to come back part-time to a show i'm not really sure the other one uh no keith lee at all which again you got to figure it's got to be something COVID related just because the man was on such a tear and probably would have had a huge spot in this rumble. Didn't end up doing anything in the rumble has been out like the two weeks prior out this week. I think I, unfortunately they're not going to report it because they don't want to spread it around. I just think he ended up, he and Mia both ended up coming down with coronavirus and that's what's kept them off TV in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to move on to SmackDown. Uh, SmackDown had a lot of great things. I, I can't, I got to start SmackDown by just talking about Cesaro versus Daniel Bryan. I was calling for the Swissman to win the Rumble. He had a okay showing in the Rumble, but uh, this match against Daniel Bryan was phenomenal. I mean, for it wasn't very long, but it was still hard hitting, great story. 
Cesaro ends up winning via submission. He puts he puts Daniel Bryan in the sharpshooter and Daniel Bryan taps out. Daniel Bryan doesn't generally tap out. I mean, he's normally the nope. guy to get out of any hold. So for him to tap out is a huge tip of the hat, show of respect, whatever you want to call it, to Cesaro in general. And that's before they did the fist bump afterwards. I mean, it was it was just really a great match. I'm happy that Cesaro is getting this push. I want to see him. Again, Edge didn't really call out who he's going to fight. Push that to Elimination Chamber. Give me Cesaro in an Elimination Chamber match where it's it's him and Shinsuke, you know, going the distance and beating the shit out of each other for 20 minutes. They they start, they finish. Like all whoever the other four guys in the ring are, I'm sorry, but like just give give them the shine because I would love to see it. I'm with you on that one. I, I think Cesaro would be a credible, believable champion that people would get behind and love. I just think he's on the wrong show to do it. I don't disagree with him being on the wrong show. I'll also say that as much as I love Cesaro, I, I don't know. He's really good in a candid situation. I'm not sure. It clearly doesn't seem like he's that great in scripted situations. Find a mouthpiece for him then. Figure out a way. Like you, you tried in the past, but you, you did it completely the wrong way. You had a group called the Real Americans and you brought in a Swiss national to be in the real Americans and you thought it was going to work and it didn't give him put him in the hurt business, give him Paul, put him in the hurt business, give him Paul Heyman, give him bring up Malcolm Bivens and have him talk to him. I don't I, like just Cesaro can do the work and he can be the guy. He just probably needs a little help with the mic work and there's got to be put him with Roman, have him be Roman. Like, listen, Jay, Jay's fine. You know, I'm glad they elevated him. But Jimmy comes back soon. I don't need to see Roman. I no. I, I I'd rather him fight Roman than be with Roman. I don't think he needs to be at the. He doesn't need to sit at the table. Big Tony doesn't sit at the table. He is the table. <laughs> Later on in the night, then we had uh, Biggie, Apollo, and Sammy in a triple threat for the IC title. Again, phenomenal match. Uh, great wrestling all around. Really good showcase as well of all three of them and their different styles. Apollo hits that moonsault off the ring apron onto the floor he jumped like a mile into the air i couldn't believe that it was unbelievable oh my god it looked it looked incredible and then sammy gets to continue to play the martyr which was great the conspiracy kind of continues because he gets dumped into the timekeepers area isn't even part of the finish Big E looks strong the entire time as well to to keep going i'm really happy with this little triple threat the only thing I think the only thing that I'm um, I'm upset with, if you even want to call it that, is the simple fact that they haven't really brought up Apollo sitting down with Roman two weeks ago. They, they may have abandoned that. I just but why? I, like I don't I don't know. Like Heyman maybe comes out to the maybe like Heyman maybe comes out to the to the to the entrance way and just kind of sits and watches. I don't know. I I'd like to see it. I don't know if we're going to. Like you said, I just I think I I just I would like to see it. I think that time has passed. You think it's already passed? I think I think it's already passed. Because now, if they are doing something with Edge, which by all accounts it looks like they are, there's no room for him. In other words, there's no room for that storyline to sort of have daylight or water to grow in. Well, I think there is. So you you brought up Edge. You brought up Edge and Roman. The promo that they had, I mean, to start the show, Roman comes out, demands to see Edge. Heyman says, yeah, sure, he's in the back. I'll... We'll, we'll get him out. Heyman barks to get him out and then is told that he's not there. Uh, Edge shows up later and then Roman and Edge in the ring to end the night. Seems like it's going to be like that grand moment where we finally get to see like Edge is saying it. You know what? Yeah, I'm going for the big dog. Nope. KO. Stunner out of nowhere. Just kind of ends the show. I, I loved it. I'm, I'm glad Edge didn't make a decision this week. Again, I want him to push it. But I think if we're going to get Edge and Roman... The way you can bring Apollo in, as we saw this week, Jay was back. Jay wasn't in the ring during that last segment because uh, Edge made that great line of, you're already sweating me, you need backup. Uh, and, then, yeah. and then actually Roman's response as well, saying, you know what, Paul's only going to attack you if I tell him to. I thought that was great. <laughs> but Jay gets sent to the back. You can have Jay, first it's just Jay fighting Edge. Roman's never going to do his own dirty work. He's he's the man behind the curtain. He's, you know, he's the boss. He's not going to, he's not going to be, doing his own dirty work. Jay starts the attacks. When the time comes, Apollo joins for the attacks. And that's when Christian makes his appearance on SmackDown. Now you've got Edge and Christian reuniting in a week or two to fight Jay and uh, Apollo. 
keeping Roman away and keeping Roman away from Edge and keeping Roman out of that match until Mania because you don't want anything. You don't want to see them in the ring before Mania. You want that to finally culminate at Mania. They shouldn't touch until then. 100%. And that's what I'm saying. So you can bring Apollo in. Edge gets to keep wrestling. Christian comes back for a little while. Once that feud blows out, Christian maybe gets to challenge Big E for that Intercontinental Championship match that he earned five years ago, also against Big E. But yeah, I, I think you know, I think that's the way to do it, where you can bring Apollo in, you bring Christian in, and now you know you're setting yourself up, and Roman doesn't have to do anything except interfere and sit on the outside. Yeah, I think that's also how you get KO back into it in a relevant way. Uh, you have Edge and Christian doing Apollo and Jay and you have KO kind of giving you sneak attacks here and there and KO is ultimately what causes Roman to lose so Roman can still look strong now see that would be that would be interesting I just it's for a mania main event the only time that I've ever like a screw job's got to be a screw job so it would be again like Edge losing because of Christian at mania like mm. th- those are those are the moments if you're going to have an interference at Mania, it's got to be a big one. It's always been a big one. Seth coming out at Mania 30. Yeah. Jericho Christian with Trish. Uh, I forget what year it was, but that that was another big one. When it's a turn at Mania, it can't be something that you've been setting up for months and months and months. It's got to be something that you just don't see coming. I miss the days when they would set up WrestleMania moments over the course of a year. But, you know, those days are past. I mean, they may be passed, but they may not. I mean, Edge Edge could fight Roman and lose because of, well, I mean, he could lose because of Randy, which we may be mad about and I'd be mad about, but at the same time, it was set up over the course of a year. I mean, that's that's the way it's been written. I can't think, unless back in 2019, like Edge threw out AJ and Edge threw out AJ in 2020, or 2020 and 2021, Edge threw AJ out both times in the Rumble. Uh, I'd have to go back to do some research on that. And then AJ costs him. I, I don't know. I, yeah, if, if that's going to happen... It needs to be. It needs to be something that makes sense in the long run. It was a good show all around this week. Oh yeah, both. I think both Raw and SmackDown were, were really good shows all around. Really good pickups from the Royal Rumble, uh, and then Edge got to continue his tour and uh, head down to Full Sail and go. Or sorry, the CWC and check out NXT. <laughs> um, he had a little bit of a. He had a pop in during Dunn, uh, Pete Dunn and Finn Balor during one of their face-to-faces and he got to come out he had a great line. I loved how he pegged the fact that NXT has brought back the second W in WWE and doesn't focus on the E so much. I thought that was great. Uh, and then he just kind of sat back and smiled. Uh, and then he had a brilliant tip of the hat. How do you do with killer, uh, carrying cross in the back? I, I think, I mean, that would be a dream match. I think based off of Twitter exchange as well, I don't think carrying cross is long for NXT like he might try and get his title. He's too back. good. He's too good. He's too good. The gimmick is too good. Like the, the whole thing is just too good to sit on NXT for too long. Even and if they have to bring Scarlet with him. Oh, hundred. Oh, Scarlet's Scarlet comes up regardless. Yeah. There's no, she's not staying down while he moves up. That's just not, a, no. that's just not happening. His, uh, but by the way, the, in terms of his exchange with edge edge proving once again, he's forever gold on the mic said, you know, be careful what you wish for because I might come back here and you may not like that. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I enjoy that. Somebody, somebody on a group on Facebook that I'm a part of said something about edge being boring and just not liking their promos. And I'm like, what are you watching? Because the man, he can do an understated promo. I think better than anybody in the business right now. Every he can, he can handle an understated promo that feels passionate and just, and has a lot behind it without without having to to dig or go over the top or anything like that maybe ko him and ko both are really good at that as ko showed right before the rumble uh but even i mean edge can just yeah he can say very little very softly and still get uh still get all his points across doesn't need to raise his voice no not at all also then during nxt uh we had what i really austin theory with johnny gargano and the way i love it he, he comes in, he's against Leon Ruff. Leon Ruff has had these surprise matches and surprise wins against the way, won the North American Championship for a short while. I mean, it's, it's all been fun, but the, the character change for Austin Theory, where he's just kind of this big dimwit, 
you know, the, the backstage segment, they're coming to the ring yeah. and he's going through the wrong part of the curtain and Gargano's like, no, 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 we're going this way. Mentioning Kushida. You don't talk about Kushida. We don't bring up that name. Like yeah. all, all of that. I just, I, I love what they're doing with it. The introduction of Loomis, I, I think is interesting because dude is just, the whole Dexter as in like Showtime's serial killer series part of, of Dexter Loomis. I, I am interested by like the quietness and all that stuff, even though I'm not sure how much, how, how, how long caricatures can go on for your promos. But yeah, I just, I love the match. I love what they're doing with Austin Theory and Johnny Gargano. And I'm just, I'm really happy to see it. And I can't wait to see where it's going to continue to go. I kind of love how everybody's a little scared of, uh, of Dexter Loomis, but they don't know why. Well, it's just the creep factor. He's like, just so creepy. The creep factor, and they do a really good job of filming him where he just pops up. Like, so, <laughs> like he's not there, and then he's there. Like, is and and I think, and he's also, he's got that that blank-eyed stare that he ends up doing, I think is is great. Because then he, he does, he carries that over into the ring. It's not like he does that outside the ring, and then in the ring, he kind of loses focus. He is able to continue that same character and that same demeanor from, from, from the promo to the entrance, to the ring, to the post-match without really ever batting an eye. There's very few times that he grunts or yells in the ring. I just think it's great. I would love to hear him speak and have him just basically sound like, like, uh, like Christopher Lloyd healing? does. No, like, like Christopher oh. Lloyd does at, at the end of uh, Roger Rabbit, just some high pitched, yeah, you know, ridiculous voice. I think that's what they're afraid. I mean, God, God forbid they could actually go that way. I think the other thing they're afraid of though, is that like, at this point, his voice isn't going to match the character, but the, the worst thing, speaking of my dollar bet, the worst thing they ever did is let Alistair Black speak. 30 minutes allowed. I don't, don't go let the man talk. Remain. Uh, I mean, maybe I think Alistair Black there's look, I, I could spend an hour just talking about what went wrong with Alistair Black because he was just fine on NXT. Got to the main roster I think I think what killed Aleister Black is the fact that what killed him was the Dusty Rhodes Classic. If I'm being perfectly honest, because he got paired with Ricochet and then he never got unpaired with Ricochet. The first month and a half that he was on Raw, it was him teaming up with Ricochet. I would have been fine with that if they kept it. I wouldn't. I, I it wasn't needed. They were two perfectly good single stars. You do not need the Dusty Rhodes Classic has been sullied by the fact that your pet peeve. My, my biggest pet peeve right now with tag team wrestling in WWE, but specifically the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic, is that you're just slapping together singles wrestlers to make a tag team. And that's exactly what happened with Aleister Black and Ricochet. And that's exactly what happened in the main event this week when Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher, who got slapped together two weeks ago, come away with a win over the Undisputed Era. Your, your bona fide golden stable who has carried the company at times, you're you're going to have them lose to two submission guys that get slapped together. I just, I can't. Now, they fight Imperium next week. If they beat Imperium 2, I'm going to have even more of a problem. This year, it just so happens that the Dusty Rhodes Classic is the biggest field, I believe, that they've ever had. There's more teams in NXT right now than they know what to do with. Case in point, Brizongo went out in the first round when they were tag team champions less than a month ago. I remember. I love Brizongo. Oh, right. Well, that well because they again, you pit them against Undisputed Era. You could have removed Timothy Thatcher and uh, this Thatcher Champa tag team and just put Brizongo in the spot of the two dudes that got taken out by Karrion Cross. And, so, and couldn't compete in the first place. Unless you just were that focused on making carrying across a monster that you needed to completely axe a part of the tag team championship. But again, I think it's been four, I'd have to, again, I got to do my research on this. It's four or five times, four or five years now of the, of the Dusty Rhodes Classic. Two of those times has been an actual tag team winning. And I think three of those times has been two guys slapped together. Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, the first year, uh, Alistair Black and Ricochet and um, the Broserweights because I'm calling the Broserweights a slap together team even though they eventually did something to start the tournament they were slapped together Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle I just can't stand it anymore I'm tired of it the match though was great see I don't mind if they, if they become a team the Broserweights to me were the most entertaining part of NXT for quite a long time I, lo I loved that Pete Dunne didn't get to talk because he didn't have to. 
Well, and they're still carrying that over now, and it's not it's not great because with when you had McAfee, it made sense, but without McAfee, Oni Lorcan, I love Oni and Danny. They are not the ones who can carry a Pete Dunn promo where all he does is shrug at the end of it. And he's still trying to pull off that shrug when he's a heel, and it's just not it's just not working. Now the match in the men's Dusty Cup, that was a great match. Like that was a fantastic yeah. tag match, and those four guys once again proved that they can work. It was just well done, well executed, clean, crisp, and hard hitting. I like I said, the match itself was great, but I cannot stand that the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic is just, it's basically a way to take all these tag teams and you do this on Raw and SmackDown too. You've got all of these actual tag teams in the men's and women's and they're all playing second fiddle to two single stars that are getting slapped together because they don't have anything else to do for them. Because they can take the loss. So, you know, It's not going to hurt the Undisputed Era to lose. It's not going to hurt the undisputed era to lose, but it hurts Breezango to lose. It hurts. I mean, if if Danny yes. Bur- uh, if Danny Burch and Oni Lorcan weren't the tag team championship tag team champions, they would have been out probably in the first round of this one too to, to some randos. And the women's at least they slapped people together because they really didn't have that many tag teams. But even fi- even still, they're making it work. Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez should be the ones to come out of that winning because they are the most dominant and best team out of anybody. And Casey Catanzaro and Caden, uh, who they fought this week, they were technically slapped together, but that's because they were just best friends who wanted to wrestle, so they became a tag team. And that match was also great. That was a great women's tag match. You didn't actually know, like, it really looked like Casey and Caden could have come away with that until Raquel Gonzalez comes in and just establishes her dominance as she should have from the get-go. But again, a great match. I think it's got to be Dakota and Raquel winning this thing for the women for me this year. They've been building them up for too long. They have to win it. I mean, and we'll find out at, at, at I, I guess they're calling this takeover vengeance day because it's calling, it's falling on Valentine's day. You could have just called it vengeance. I don't think you need the day, but you know, that's just what WWE does. Right. Outside of WWE, AEW this week was probably, uh, yes, they hyped it up and it was one of the, like it was beach break. So it was supposed to be a special show. It was hands down one of the best shows that they've had start to finish this is just as good as winter is coming in, in my mind they, they they've gotten consistently better week to week show to show in stretching out their product with the limited time that they, they were really affected by COVID more than the other companies because they didn't have everything in place the way wwe does yes and no. so they had to string together i think they did six weeks of shows and two nights at one point Right, yeah, and they did a great job because they used the Nightmare Academy first, but then they also have the benefit of being owned by the Khan family and having Daly's Place available to them whenever they want. Next door, yeah. Like, anytime they ever fall into trouble, they've got Daly's Place to go to. They've got that that fallback plan. And and I think, yeah, they could always fall back to that, which sets them apart from everybody else, but I don't disagree with you. They did a great job during the COVID stretch, I think what's setting them apart is they're doing it smart by having the wrestlers at ringside because they're chanting. You can, you have that sound and that ambiance that you didn't have before the Thunderdome. Uh, and frankly, which is why I think NXT is doing a better job than Raw and SmackDown when it comes to the crowd. Even though there's only 50, 60 people in there, it makes a difference. It makes a big difference. It makes a difference than just the piped in stuff they've been playing because you're getting actual reaction. And I don't think, I think Raw and SmackDown, we, we, We've talked about this in private and we didn't really get it because these shows were both good. I think there's been some segments and some some bits lately that would have been booed out of the building if it wasn't for the fact that Vince is piping in. Uh, they're getting to pipe in their own sound. Yeah. During AEW, though, we started off with a great tag team battle royale. I love the concept that they do where only, it doesn't matter if only if one person gets eliminated, like the team is eliminated when both members are done, not when one member's out, the other member has to leave. It makes for a lot of interesting things. One of the young bucks got eliminated super early in the match, which was cool because then when only one's remaining at the end, there's just a lot more, a lot more on the line when it's all said and done to that end. One of the things I didn't like was the fact that the inner circle just had this great triple threat tag match to determine who is going to be the inner circles tag team. And then you still had all six members of the inner circles in the respective teams in this match. It just, it, it, took away from that moment even though y2j and mjf end up winning 
it just it took away from that moment. You could have had Sammy, uh, Sammy Hager win, but then like Y2J is taking the title opportunity from him because they're technically the tag team from Inner Circle. Like there's a story there that I think was missed, even though I still like the story that they're doing now. I think there was a bigger story missed because it just didn't make sense to me that you made this big deal about all three teams and only one team is going to vie for the tag team titles from the inner circle. And yet you still had all three of them in the ring for this battle Royal. See, I I agree with you in your general point, but to me, there can't be enough inner circle because that the the group is so varied in such a great way. I don't know who put them together. That kind of smells like that's all Jericho. It was all Jericho, but he picked the right guys for the right thing. Oh yeah. And I just said, I just think you could have had them on the outside interfering and just running amok of the damn thing and doing the same thing as having them in the ring. Like it, it's clear. He learned the lessons, uh, the right lessons from the NWO. Yes. There's not yes. that many people in it and everybody who's in it, they're all active in something. So you don't just have, you know, Scott Norton and, you know, Booker T's brother just hanging out in the back. Like everybody there is involved in something. If only with each other. They're all active in something for now, but again, like we just said, Y2J and MJF are the tag team to come out of the inner circle. So what does that mean for Santana and Ortiz? Like they're going to be a tag team, but they're not going to fight for the titles because they're not the tag team for the inner circle. It's just, it's just, I, it's just weird to me. I understand it from a booking perspective. I understand you have Jericho and MJF, the dynamic between the two of them, what will I assume be an eventual split and amazing rivalry between the two of them. But when you've got an actual tag team in the inner circle, who now basically has nothing to do because they had a match. Their to spot establish, was taken. Yeah. Right. They had a match to establish who was going to go after the titles. And it wasn't them. I, I mean, look, it is what it is. They, I, I agree with you. Inner circle is, is doing some great stuff. I, I love everything that's happening there. I just, I, yeah, I just have some questions on what they're doing with the actual tag team division. I mean, Tony Tony Khan is writing and booking the show, so I think we can give him a little leeway in terms of not necessarily understanding. But like to your point, that you know, what do you do with this team that is now out of you know more or less out of a spot? Right. I mean, well, I'll give I'll give leeway, but at the same time, like I'm looking at this. I mean, call me a, a quality assurance analyst, like. Uh, I think Jericho called out the fact that they ended up running three or two similar segments back to back, like two, three months ago on dynamite when they were still trying to get the hang of everything with COVID. And he called out everybody. He called out himself and everybody involved to say, we got to be better than that. I think this is one of those times as well, that you're trying to push story and you're trying to push rankings. You're, You're trying to sit here and say that rankings are everything in AEW. You're just proving that if Santana and Ortiz are on the rankings board, with why uh, Jericho and MJF, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and who's the only undefeated guy in in AEW right now? Undefeated, technically Kenny, I think in singles. I think yeah, I think he's he's undefeated in singles. He might be undefeated uh, if Winter is coming is or whenever he lost the tag belts. If that was back in 2020, then he's undefeated in everything because uh, even this week, uh, Omega and the Good Brothers fought Pop, Phoenix, and Moxley. Uh, and Omega and the Good Brothers came out with the win there. Obviously, the bigger story is what happened at the end of the match, which was Moxley getting a beatdown, uh, Moxley getting a beatdown on Ken, uh, Kenny, and Kenta showing up from New Japan to lay out Moxley and continue that story to the point where they booked Kenta for next week on Dynamite. Oh, I didn't know that. Kenta Kenny versus Archer and Moxley falls count anywhere uh, tag match. So that is huge because everyone's been all everyone's been whispering about whether or not AEW and New Japan are going to have a relationship. It was always hinted at COVID hit travel. Things got really messed up across the board. Uh, that's why Moxley couldn't be at Wrestle Kingdom back in January was because he couldn't have passed enough coronavirus quarantines and everything to do Wrestle Kingdom and then still take care of his AEW responsibilities. But the fact that Kenta comes in, he's going to team with Kenny, but in a post-show segment, Kenny comes up and he, he throws up the two sweet and he's like, Hey man, welcome to the, welcome to the, uh, the American. Yeah. And Kent is like, go, go bleep yourself. We're not friends and walks away. So it's like, all right, cool. So maybe we are 
I, we could see the elite versus the bullet club like full on which would be amazing but they, they sort of hinted at that on tv when kenta walked out of the ring and and kenny got up to sort of celebrate kenta was looking at him giving the old shake of the head like uh what is this clown doing yeah i mean he he put the period on it when they got into the back and he he told him to go f himself and that was the end of that and it was <laughs> i mean yeah it, it was great but again all this stuff now that you're seeing on twitter between tamatanga and you know the the ogs for the bullet club in japan and the back and forth with the bucks and all this other stuff it's like i mean you want to talk about fantasy bookings you could you get aw and new japan together and and you can you you can write months of of different storylines if you can as long as the travel works out I, i give aew all the credit in the world they are willing and clearly working with everyone yeah, it's it and it, it has brought an excitement to those three companies that was wasn't there. Like, honestly, who's watching Impact? Who cares? Well, Im- Impact for sure. New Japan, I don't think so as much. I just think New Japan is harder to watch in America. And even though they got the deal with Roku TV, I, I mean, it, it's Roku TV. So what's it, you know, what's it really mean? Like, I don't, I, you know, I have almost every channel in the, in the world and Roku TV isn't one of them because I don't have a Roku TV. I had access when they were on access TV. I could watch that. I can technically watch impact if I want to, but nothing's ever interested me on impact. Now I have new Japan pro wrestling. It's nine, 999 yen or nine ninety nine a month. It is so worth it. You can go back and watch, uh, you can go back and watch all of this, the matches from wrestle kingdom, like, of old, I think English commentary starts with Wrestle Kingdom 10 or 11 when Cody showed up and had his first Wrestle Kingdom appearance. I mean, it's it's phenomenal wrestling and great matches. I am a huge New Japan fan I mean. and will... will when, when I get to watch it, I really enjoy it. It's just, yeah. you know, every year in January, I'll watch the Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, I enjoy the fact that they've been letting you know that Moxley's still the U.S. champion yep. for them, which, which is a nice bit of booking. Well, not only that, he... I mean, he also came out and straight up said that like he can go to New Japan whenever the hell he wants. Like this isn't just a he was supposed to be done with his contract and they extended him because he couldn't get over there because of COVID and technically since he's still holding the belt, blah blah blah. Because they could have pulled that belt off of him plenty of times. Yeah, I mean, they pulled the belt off of Archer or oh my god, I can't think of his name, Juice Robinson. One of them had the belt pulled for travel problems a couple pay per views back, and it was it ended up being actually I think it was Juice Robinson lost the belt because of travel. So Archer and Frankie Kazarian fought in, um, or not Frankie Kazarian, Trent, uh, Trent fought for the, for the belt uh, in a last minute match. And it was phenomenal. And that's how Archer won his first U.S. U.S. Uh, championship. I just love that they, they're continuing storylines from 10 years ago, more or less. Like, like within the last six years or so, the entire, the creation of the elite. Yes. Uh, the commercialization of the Bullet Club. The original Bullet Club, you know, still kicking around somewhere. Well, I mean, you uh, and I, you and I have gone over this time and time again. We are, we are stablemen. We are stable people. I'm a faction give, guy. Give me, give me a faction or a stable. They, you could split, and much like New Japan has, you split the entire roster up into factions, and storylines will always make sense. It's beautiful. The twists, the turns, the the stabs in the back. I love it. I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take that and segue it because I'm 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 excited here. Uh, we're talking about storylines. We're talking about being faction guys. I want to play the first ever edition of Roll the Dice, where I'm going to roll some dice to get random picks to where you, Mr. Two Bucks, Senor Dos Dolores, are going to have to come up with, I'm going to give you a wrestler at random. I want you to, I'm going to give you two minutes. I'll, I'll do some vamping, but you got two minutes to think of a storyline. <laughs> and then at this point, with TV time remaining, you're going to just go until we feel like you've hit a good point or until the bell rings and we'll, we'll see what happens. Or unless, unless the angle I'm pitching is terrible, then yank me out like the Sandman at the Apollo. If that's the case, I'll throw in the towel for you and we're going to call it, we're going to call it early. Uh, all right. To start off, uh, let's figure out what show we're going to be talking about. Number two. Randomize it. Yeah, I randomized. So number two is SmackDown. Um, now we're going to figure out with the roll of the, the die, whether you're going to be talking about main event, mid card or women's wrestlers. 
Number one, oh, main event talent. You're getting lucky on this one. I'm not a fan of it, but we're going to go with it because that's the way it goes. Okay, now I've picked six wrestlers from the SmackDown roster that I consider main event or consider main event talent or could be main event talent. Okay. And you have to come up with a storyline about... <sighs> you can't make this up. This is completely random, I promise you. Roman Reigns. Oh. <laughs> which I don't even know if I have to vamp that long for because I know you've... Got one in your pocket, which I really love and is kind of already happening. Yeah. Unfortunately, the thing that I I had written out for Roman Reigns, you can't, we can't do anymore. Okay. So do do you want to, do you want a minute to to think about this and I'll kind of vamp about. No, I'll I'll pitch it because it's still, it's still a good idea. Okay. You have the floor. Two minutes or five minutes. However it is. Let's go. My original idea was to take him and make him the natural heir apparent successor to the undertaker in that he is, you know, when he says it's my yard, well, now you prove it. So after he beat taker and took that mantle from him, I wanted him to start facing people like a Lance Archer or Brock Lesnar, someone who could actually do damage, someone who could come in and really lay leave him completely laying. And we'll take Brock as an example, because he's the only one at the time that I was doing this could do it that you really leave him laying in that it becomes uncomfortable that even the, the announcers are like, what's going on here? Like he's seriously injured. This, this is a, a problem. Think when uh, Mick Foley was taken out in the stretcher after hell in the cell, we really thought he was done for the night that that coming off the top of the cage was enough. That was it. And when he came back, that was the key moment of that match. Not that he got thrown off. It's that he walked back down the aisle. Sorry, I don't. I don't mean to digress and pull you from this. Was Hell in the Cell the one that he rode the gurney back to the ring, or was that No Way Out against the Rock? That was No Way Out against the Rock. When he, I'm sorry, when he, when he rode the gurney like a scooter back to the ring, my hands down, my favorite mankind moment. Well, in Foley's book, he talks about he he had separated his shoulder coming off the, off the Hell in the Cell. Ten minutes. And when he was going down the aisle, he shoved his shoulder back into place. And then said, I can walk back to the ring and then climb the cage. That's the, the the real moment of that match. Well, climbed the cage and then fell through it when fell he was through supposed it, yeah. to. That, that so, wasn't supposed to happen. I want one of those moments where Roman is left defenseless and we really think he's gone. And then you keep him off TV. You keep him gone for a month, month and a half, two months even. Have people forget about Roman Reigns. And then you have emissaries showing up every day, with, with preceded by vignettes saying he is he has changed, he is coming, things like that. And then the emissaries come, and they start talking, but very cryptically. You know, he is not what you think. He is he is no more. He is no more. Until eventually, an emissary comes up, disheveled, bloody. Like it's not what you think. He's not the same. Please save. And then he disappears. And then, the, you know, we start this off on Raw. We hear the Undertaker's gong and we look out and it's not Taker. We think it's Taker, but it's Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns and Taker garb because he was taken by, the ta- by Taker and changed. And he shows up on every show doing the same gimmick for like two weeks. He shows up in the crowd on top of the Titan Tron. He shows up the way Edge used to all the time when they introduced Edge slowly but surely losing the trappings of taker no more duster no more cowboy hat nothing but there he is now in the the usos sort of samoan paint and now he doesn't speak usos or umaga umaga either one i think that the usos paint was too colorful for what you're talking about i think umaga's like black would would look great in that but go on and you just have him run roughshod over people and then he, he co-ops the Usos, and now they're doing his bidding. They win the tag belts. He wins the championship. Now you have a Roman Empire. I would go one step further, though, and have him go to SmackDown and, or, or Raw, whatever show he was on, and take that title. So now you have him with all the gold. And now for the month of February, he's on Raw. So all February long, SmackDown is trying to build up who's going to face him when he comes back. And in that time, the U.S. championship is is predominant. When he comes back to SmackDown, now in that time, Raw is doing the same thing. Raw is building up 
the Intercontinental title to see who can now face Roman later on. And you just have him go back and forth like that, alternating months. It gives you time to build storylines the old-fashioned way, build a little tension, and no one can defeat this guy from, you know, six months to a year. Then you introduce the fiend or the demon to have him finally defeat this this otherworldly Roman Reigns. What I like about that is that this would this would heighten or be able to kind of bring back, I think, something that's kind of fallen off, which is the brand supremacy or brand pride that only ends up showing up between whatever the pay-per-view is in October and Survivor Series, when suddenly everybody yeah. cares about what brand they're on. Because when you're doing that, you can have Roman is this middle figure, and it, it's just who is going to get their championship back first, Raw or SmackDown. I, I like that because then each one is building up pride in their brand, and I think that works better when you have – a GM commissioner, whatever Adam Pierce being the same guy on both shows kind of takes away from that. But if they were individual GMs again, then yeah, I, I love that whole concept. Give me, give me the image of Roman in a throne with all the belts around him, the tag belts, the the championship, the world championship, you know, I don't know, throw, throw in, you know, the Tonga kid and get, get me an intercontinental championship, you know, just have it, have, have that family take everything. Now you have to deal with them to get it. Look, I mean, they could still do that. You can have, I saw, I saw a mock-up of what uh, unified tag belts would look like. I didn't hate it. Uh, it was basically a black leather belt with red threat, with red piping along the top and blue piping along the bottom. And then just the silver tag belt in the middle with the space on the side for the, um, for the custom side plates. I mean, so you can have that with, you can have Roman, then you've got the Usos with the tag belts, then Naomi on one side and Tamina on the other, like finally give Tamina a run where, or Naya, I mean, she's Samoan, you can go that no, route. No, I, I, listen, I draw the line of Naya. Five minutes remaining. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, they could both, you, you want to you see everybody at a table and you want that image, I'm just, I'm giving you, I'm giving you names where you can still- At, at the table and the table is covered in gold. You can still technically do that now. And like I said last week, I just want Roman to start sitting at a big ass table. Yeah. I just want to see the big ass long table and like, you know, before his promos, it's just like carted in right like along the entire table, right up to his face. Well, back to fantasy booking, uh, just to give you a quick one for free. Mark my words, before SummerSlam, there's going to be a Samoa Joe Roman Reigns program. I would love it. I wanted Acknowledge Samoa, me. I wanted Samoa Joe to come back on Monday and it didn't happen. I don't know what the changeover would need to be to get Samoa Joe on SmackDown or get him back as an active competitor. I would love the idea. I would love to see Samoa Joe versus the Samoan named Joe. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I just, you know, I, you need to figure out a way to get Samoa Joe back and then over to over to the have it, have it on a pay-per-view. They're all there. Right. But again, you've got it. just how it happens is, is key. I thought the rumble could have been the perfect time for him to pop back in and, uh, and do his no, thing. No, I, I mean, like in the middle of middle of a pay-per-view have Roman just walk up to Samoa Joe's table and said, listen, you calling yourself Samoa Joe, you know, you're from my Island. Uh, you need to get in line with everybody else. I like it. And, have, and Joe say, no, uh, listen, I'm not even competing at the moment. I mean, Joe, Joe, just be Joe. Like when Seth came up to him at the table and that, that whole thing happened. Yeah. yeah. He's like, well, you think I'm afraid of you? <laughs> yeah. Anytime. What I always love is when somebody's about to go over the table or like there's a confrontation at the table and Tom and Byron Saxton are running for the Hills and Samoa Joe doesn't move. Just sits there. <laughs> like unless, unless his water gets spilled, he just continues to sit there. Like, what are you going to do? There are levels. There are people who are a problem and then people who are an issue. So like you look at Seamus, Seamus walks into your bar at, you know, 2.30 in the morning, he's going to be a problem. But then Samoa Joe walks in there and that man's an issue because there's, I don't know if the cops are going to come and if they do, if they're going to help you. I say Samoa Joe's an issue because he wants a cappuccino at 2 a.m. and our machine's been down for an hour. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not leaving until I get it. <laughs> oh man you know what i think i loved it i thought that was great i mean i've heard you've told me that story before i i'm so mad that of all the possibilities i had for this situation that legitimately came up <laughs> um and we'll figure out something better for next week but i think I'm i gonna, gave you two 
I gave, I'm I gave you out. the original and, and, the, and the Samoa Joe. Yeah, I'm going to tap out right there. Uh, that's going to do it for, I think, the today's recap and show. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for the second official One Fall podcast. I'd like to thank everybody for finding us on Facebook, anybody who provided us with feedback and their thoughts. Uh, thank you again very much. We'll have more on Facebook and Instagram as we start to get a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more experience, a little bit more know-how and time. Otherwise, I thought it was a great show, Rob. This was a fantastic show. I'm glad we did it. Uh, we're getting better at this kind of thing. I think so. I think so. One day, one day we'll, I think one day we'll finally know what we're doing and that's when we're going to call it quits. Until then though, we will see you guys again next week when we get a little bit closer on the road to WrestleMania. You may not like it, but you will learn to what? Love it. Well, there it is from the man himself, Robbie, two bucks. All right, guys. Thanks everybody very much. And we'll see you guys next week.